0: I hey. eat. off on another amazing episode of the Hyper Anomalous Esoteric Research Organization podcast, aka Hero Paranormal, broadcasting from the base camp, Space Wolf Research, just south of the old Sherman Ranch in Utah. My name is Ryan, the Anomalous Ambassador of the Airwaves, bringing you an out-of-this-world episode today. Before we get to the goods, I'd just like to let listeners know if they haven't subscribed to Hero Paranormal on Patreon, well, you're seriously missing out, missing out on a ton of early releases and content behind the paywall. You can also keep up with episodes at heroparanormal.com on Podbean, and please, please, please subscribe to Hero Paranormal on YouTube. Although they have hit me with strikes and seem unwilling to monetize the podcast, no matter the amount of listeners, I've been told liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast on your social media will help reverse the shadow ban and break through the algorithms of control. Many thanks in advance. On to the goodies, the good stuff. On today's podcast, we have the one, the only, Grant Cameron discussing a book that is close to my heart because it features, as one of its sky pilots or people who fly UFO craft, a close friend of mine, a friend named Ron Johnson, and he is the real deal. Grant Cameron's book that we will be discussing is a barn burner, and it comes highly recommended. It's a great read. It is UFO Sky Pilots, pilots of peace and oneness. For those who don't know Grant, he is with White House UFO and is a Canadian UFO investigator and author who was honored as the International Researcher of the Year at Leeds Conference. Grant has been involved in many projects. Dossiers Mystere, UFO, UFOs and Consciousness, Unveiling the Truth, Hangar One, The UFO Files, Ancient Aliens, alien abductions, and paranormal sightings real people reveal, their stories, and many, many more than I can even mention. Grant has received awards as UFO Researcher of the Year at UFO Congress. He is also mutual friends with other folks I adore, which are the Bledsoe's. Grant became involved in ufology as the Vietnam War ended in May 1975, which is the month and year I was born but the synchronicities and coincidences don't end there. He is very much interested in consciousness research and the Uinta Basin of Utah and its enigmas, UFOs, and high strangeness. Cameron has become an authority in UFO research since 1975 due to his innumerable accomplishments and contributions. He wrote other groundbreaking books like Contact Modalities, The Portals and UFOs of Mount Shasta, Managing Magic, The Government's UFO Disclosure Plan, Inspired, The Paranormal World of Creativity, Triangles, Aliens, and Messages, The Canadian Government UFO Story, Breakthrough, The Psilocybin School, Charlie Red Star, and many, many more that I would just bore you reading. There's that many. Now, after experiencing a mental download, Grant's research really took off, and he has been, as you will soon find out, 10 Steps Ahead of the Mainstream UFO Research Community Ever Since. Grant, welcome to the Hero Paranormal Podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Ryan. You make me sound famous. I guess I better uh, live up to my reputation here. <laughs>
0: <You> know, <laughs> this is such a great book, and such a great book the way it came about. I I, I don't know where to kick this off at, but it sounds like in 2013 an elder, la- elderly lady approached you claiming she had flown a flying saucer and it kind of kicked off from there.
1: Yeah, I kind of thought she was uh, absolutely insane when she told me this. I mean, because the first thing that popped into my head when this lady who was probably in her 70s um, told me this, I first thought of um, Saudi Arabian women. It was the first popping in my head that at that point they were still not allowed to drive a car unless there was a man in the car with them. And I thought like, they let, you, <laughs> I said, they let you fly the flying saucer? This makes no sense. Why would, why would they let you fly the flying saucer? And then, and then she said, oh, I have flown three different models. And I said, really? I said, well, how do you fly a flying saucer? And that's what she said. You do it with your mind. And then it all sort of made sense that in 2012, I had had those download the same time that Ray Hernandez had had his experience with his dog being healed and the same time that Chris Bledsoe had first encountered what he called the lady and uh, they all happen within weeks of each other and so i immediately realized that this had to do with consciousness and i had had this consciousness download at, in 2012 in february and um i had made this shift to uh consciousness and when they asked me to talk to this lady i didn't know what it was about and so when she said you do it with your mind then i realized oh that's because i've given this lecture on consciousness and they want this woman to tell me the story about consciousness. And that's what the important part of this whole story is, is that once this uh, lady whose name was, um, um, I'm going to forget her name, Pam um, Dupuy mm-hmm. came to me. Uh, she, uh, th- th- these people started coming to me. It wasn't sort of like um, I read about it Because you, if you look on the Internet, there really is nothing much written about this. But um, I started to get these people that would run into me. And, and one example was your friend Chris Butzel and a good friend of mine, and I'm talking to him. I talked to him the odd time about different things, and I was talking to him, and somehow this subject came up, and he said, oh, well, I've flown the flying saucer. And I said, you flew it, too? And I'm like I, it was like, I run into another person. I go, you flew it, too? And he said, oh, yeah. I said, well, stop, Chris. Don't don't say anything. I'm going to phone you, and I want to tape this whole thing. You just start from the beginning and go to the end. And I knew that he was probably going to do what the other people at that point had done, and just, like, Read off this sort of a off a cue card. They're all telling me basically this same bizarre story, and that's the key part about it. Is this is a very very almost like uh, Jacques Bellay calls it um, uh, the, the the fact that um, UFO stories are absurd. They don't make any sense. And this is the same thing. It was absurd that all these people were telling me a story because if you wanted to tell a story and get away with it that you were on a flying saucer and you've been abducted or whatever, the last thing you would. T- Bring up is oh they let me fly the flying saucer that makes no sense whatsoever, and so these people are all telling me this. So when I talked to Chris, he t- went through this whole um, scenario of what people say, and then this is the sort of the cue card version of, of what happens. They they are invited onto the ship, and Chris described that when he was. Um, Good to go on the ship, he realized that the inside of the ship was way bigger than the outside, and he looked back at the outside and it was the same size and he looked inside and it was huge and We can discuss that later that 's another part of the pattern that people have is this this idea that the craft can be as big as they want it to be on the inside so Chris said he was went in and these beings were there, and there was a pedestal in the middle of the the, sh- the ship uh was sort of the control center. And it had what he described as like a beehive, which was sort of like um, black uh, plastic, um, sort of a uh, black plastic, I guess. And he was told to put his hand on this beehive that was on this pedestal in the middle of the ship. And he put his hand on there, and then he said uh, he took his hand off, and you could see where his hand was. And he said it looked like a CD-ROM with the this, the colors of the the various waves going through it, and you could see where his hand was. And then he said the inside of the ship started to, um, to change. And he talked about these um, hexagon shapes inside. And there's one other woman who did the same thing. And I was, I was just floored when she talked about these. And she was trying to get this explanation of why these hexagon things inside the ship were, were in her, her experience. And what he said, there was these hexagons sort of in the wall, and they started to spin, and they got bigger and bigger and bigger, and these hexagons are spinning. And I'm not sure exactly you know, how many there were, whether it was all the walls or whatever. And he said the, the ship just sort of started to change on the inside, and then suddenly the front window opened up, and it was the Cape Fear River. And he realized that he had, by touching the craft, he had become one with the craft. And the people will all describe this. I became one with the craft. Uh, whatever I thought is what the craft did. So the craft becomes your mind, you become the craft's mind. And the craft is alive. Everybody will describe the fact that the craft is alive. And so this is an important aspect of the, of the cue card version of this thing, is that this is artificial intelligence. Everybody's saying, can we do artificial intelligence? What's it going to look like? This is what artificial intelligence will look like a thousand years from now. And that is that if, uh, we have this idea you can take consciousness, And put it in the machine whereas consciousness is primary and the idea of this is that in order to get a conscious machine you need it to be made of biological material so in a lot of descriptions people will say the craft is grown it's alive they actually grow the craft and that's why it's seamless and has no rivets that's why on the inside it looks like it comes out of a mold. People will say it has these sort of curved, there's no 45-degree angles inside the ship, and it's almost like this thing is built out of a mold. And so people will say this craft is, that was actually alive. Some people actually gave it a name, and they could sort of communicate with it. And then whatever they wanted to do, um, the, the craft would do. And the idea was that it was all consciousness-based, and um whatever you thought is what the craft would do and people people would describe for example ron johnson your friend um th- his experience he's on the ship and then they say to him well where do you want to go and he's sitting in a chair his is a little bit different he's sitting in a chair and he's got his fingers in the holes sort of on the end of this chair and that's his link is his connection to the ship and he said the, sh- the chair was almost like it had been built for him exactly like it's built for his body it's kind of weird And so he sits in this, they said, where do you want to go? And he said, oh, I'd like to see the Milky Way from a distance. And they said, okay, this is going to take about one second and um, you'll be there. But it's within you. You've got to go within yourself. It's within you. And a lot of people will describe this, that everything is inside ourselves. The idea there's no time and space. It's all within us. Almost like this uh, thing that Stephen Greer uses in his meditation before they do the CE5s. You see yourself as a puny form when within you the entire universe is unfolded. And this is this idea. So people will describe you instantly go where you want to go, but you have to have it in your mind. you got to imagine where you want to go, and the ship will immediately take you there. So Ron said in one second, he said it was like they were you know, turning the pages or spinning the pages of a book really fast, uh, and, and he was going through the dimensions the way he described it, and he said in one second he looked out and there was the Milky Way in the distance. And I figure you know this is probably fifty to seventy thousand light years that he went in uh, one second, which would tend to indicate there's something wrong with our idea of time and space, the material idea of time and space, and that 's what people describe this idea that they can go wherever they want, the craft is alive, and people will describe other things where they'll say once you put your hand on the panel, you have three hundred and sixty degree vision, which when you cross it over with other paranormal phenomena such as eye to body experience uh out-of-body experience also these people describe also as soon as they're out of their body they can see him 360 degrees and i actually went back to ron i said did is this like 360 degrees in one in one sort of uh like horizontal he said no horizontal vertical 360 degrees in every direction and that's the you know really really sort of new aspect to tying this into out-of-body experiences in fact the the one guy who was the pilot was the um uh, head of MUFON for uh, Japan and he said absolutely every single one of his events was out-of-body experience that he had learned meditation he was in why he lived, lived in Washington state moved to uh, Japan and then um, learned this he had had this technique of meditation and learned to go out of his body and he said he has encounters on the ships with the with the greys all the time and he said it's all out-of-body experience so this is the the basic thing is these people started to tell me this bizarre story about flying the ship and that's why I put it down. I called them the UFO sky pilots, that they are allowed to move the craft. And that's what I think happens with the Milab cases, where the people are taken by force with the military, that they are forced, and that the government is trying to figure this thing out. And they, um, according to one document that's been read into the, the Congress, this was called the Wilson uh, Davis document, um, they say, we have a craft and we think it'll fly. And that means they have a craft intact and they can't fly it. And that's because they're missing the consciousness interface. They're missing someone to move it. And so when the Milab people are taken, they are given pieces of equipment and stuff and they're able to operate it. And the the military people aren't able to operate it. And as soon as the person operates it, they'll say, oh, we got another one another person that's been on board the ship and knows has been trained to do this sort of paranormal stuff, levitation and stuff. And the experiencers will, the mill out experiencers will describe this over and over again, that they're forced to uh, do levitation and what are the beings telling you? What are they saying? And this sort of thing. And the government is trying to find out. So they're going through the experiencers, which makes sense to find out what is this intelligence and why are they here? And what kind of technologies do they have that we can develop But unfortunately, their mission is to develop it for for war, which I don't think the the entities are going to go along with.
0: Wow, there's so much to unpack here. And I'm really glad that you brought all these things up, especially the Wilson Davis Document Leak. Many have theorized that the craft mentioned in the Wilson Davis Document Leak may be housed at Bigelow Aerospace. Again, all theory in Nevada, among other places that they theorize. But you always seem to be about 10 steps ahead of the mainstream UFO research, much like uh, Robert Bigelow has moved into consciousness studies. You've been saying this for years. And I'm friends with Ron Johnson, as you mentioned, and Ryan Bledsoe and the Bledsoe family. You're familiar with them both. And I 100% know they are the real deal. Now, Dr. Jacques Vallet, which you mentioned and Eric Davis wrote a 2004 paper including a six layer model for anomalous phenomenon. And in this paper the two men pointed out that the various levels of the, the phenomena based on 30 years of research for Davis and 66 of research for valet, that there was layer one, the physical layer, layer two, the anti-physical, layer three, psychology of the witness, layer four, physiological reactions experienced by the witness layer five, which is what your book really delves into the psychic element as pointed out in parapsychology literature and layer six is cultural, but the level that your book really focuses in on peels all the layers of the onion back is level five. And it's the most challenging in my belief, you know, everyone believes in this material world, this, this nuts and bolts worldview you are peeling that all back and i need to ask you what have been the similarities that you found in your investigation and research of these ufo sky pilots what do they have in common
1: um well i mean i guess they're all experiencers they're all been on the ship and we call them the, the sort of the experiencers and um they will have uh added psychic abilities uh, abilities to heal chris Bletso has that um, they are all um, um, Roger Lear, who did the seventeen alien implant, he removed them he was the the, the uh, doctor in Los Angeles. He was asked what 's common between all the people who had the implants removed and and uh, he said they 're all experiencers they 're all right brain creative people, and there 's tons of them in hollywood and i 've discussed that in the inspired book and the contact modalities book where I wrote. Right, talk about this right brain, left brain thing. That um, a lot of the experiences you're going to find are musicians. I did a whole book on musicians. How many of them are UFO experiencers? That uh, most experiencers are not really uh, left brain people. They're not into the sort of the um, nuts and bolts or the military or this sort of stuff. They're more creative, artistic type people, and that's where I say the, the connection is: is that there's a world out there that you can make contact with in the universe of different dimensions, we're only on one sort of frequency, but the way that you make that contact with the rest of um, the universe in different uh, aspects is to shut down the left brain, the rational, analytical, the ego brain that's talking all the time, and that's why in meditation they'll say they're quieting the the mind. They're not quieting the mind, they're quieting the left brain because the left brain is going, this is garbage, I, I don't believe this is happening, this is, you know, this sort of stuff, and that's what you'll see, um, that once you can shut the noise down from the left brain and get you got a, a clear signal and that's picked up by the right brain. So you'll you'll see a lot of the the sky pilots were women. They're just simple women that were picking this up. Uh, we did have some some high level people because people will say, oh, it's just you know pe- ordinary people or whatever. No, we had uh, one guy who um, out of San Francisco who was a captain for 747. 747- uh United Airlines. So, I mean, that's a top, that's a top captain. That's like, years and years and years of of flying before you get to be a captain of a seven four seven. And he had had the, the he called it a dream. A lot of them called it a dream. And I I would say to them, yeah, everybody describes it as a dream. Just tell tell me the story, even though you anticipated dream. And he had the dream once, and he was talking to I don't know if you know Joe Burks out of California. He was one of the ones that ran Stephen Greer's as. Um, uh, C-SETI operation in in LA for a couple of years before he, he moved on. And he I uh, was friends with uh, Joe, who was the, the pilot. And he had this dream. And then he told it to Joe Burks. And, and Joe listened. And then he had the dream a year later. And then he said, I think we better record this. And so uh, he went on the record for me. And he told me the story of the same thing, of flying this of this craft and uh, he said this is just the way it is and he was a, a member of mission rama so this is a group that started about the same time as me and they have these protocols where they're able to open these portals what they call zendras and they use this meditation process where they raise their vibration and these beings who are like uh sort of like um long hair white type beings uh will come to them and uh so they're using the same process they're quieting the mind they're they're getting uh, the the ego mind cut off, and they make these these contacts. And so this pilot was a member of Mission Rama, and he knew the protocols, and he'd actually been inside a Zendr. He'd been inside one of these portal things that they'd opened. But he said when he had the dream the second time, he told to Joe Burks, and Joe Burks said, we better record this. So he re- he records that dream. I had a guy um, it, it, when I was in Los Angeles who, um, uh, I was speaking for Orange County uh, MUFON there, and it was a big group, and, of course, a lot of people go to the restaurant after, and we were at the restaurant, and suddenly this guy comes into the restaurant, and they, they yelled at me, David, 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 you're at the, you missed Grant's lecture. He's talking about flying the ship. He said, tell them about, about flying your, your, your experience. And then David looked at me, and he said, oh, uh, I, I think it was a dream. I said, well, everybody thinks it's a dream. Uh, you know, it, that's, that's common. People think it's a dream. And then some guy says, David, David, tell them what you are, and tell them what you do. And I said, so what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a pilot. I said, oh, my son's a pilot. My father's a pilot. I mean, I said, tell me, what kind of fl- stuff do you fly? And he said, telling me all these planes. And then he says, F-16. And I said, F-16? You've flown F-16s? And he said, yeah, I'm a retired U.S. Air Force colonel. I flew in Iraq. Oh, tell me your dream. <laughs> and he's the same sort of dream where he, 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 gets, he has these people behind him. And that almost sounds like soul, when you hear, if you've studied Michael Newton, the idea that you have these the, the soul guides, but they stay behind you and off to the, I think off to the left or whatever. He said he didn't know it was people or he didn't know it was, was aliens or what it was, but there was somebody behind him. And he walked onto the ship and then the, he was standing in the middle of the ship and these, whatever it was, his voice behind him said, go ahead and do it. And he said, I don't know what to do, which is a very common thing. People will say, they, they're told to do it. They, don't, they say, oh, I don't know what to do. And then they say, you know what to do, just do it. And then he sees this panel and he goes to this panel along the wall of the craft and he puts his hand on the panel, and he said it, it was just like an F-16. He said, I'm suddenly, I'm flying this thing, and he said it was like suction cups on an F-16, whatever that means, and he said, uh, suddenly, I'm flying this craft. He says, it's, it's flying, and I take one hand up off the panel, and I'm waiting for the, the, the UFO to stall. I'm going to put my hand back down, and nothing happens, and then I take my second hand off the panel, and he said, it's still flying, and, and I'm not touching anything, and this is this sort of mental Connection with the ship that he becomes one with the ship, and he described the same thing. He was he was able to uh, to fly the ship, and wherever he wanted to go was where the where the craft would go, and uh, so you you see this very common pattern, and uh, uh, a lot of we had one guy. Uh, high-level CIA John Ramirez. If you know John Ramirez, just came public. He's a high-level intelligence uh, guy who retired and started telling his story. And he talks, and his didn't even involve a ship. Almost like the guy from from Japan. His was uh, not, not even a ship he could move and uh, describe that whole experience to me. But just a fascinating thing. And almost like they. It was almost like these people were intended to come to me because there really was nothing in the literature. I think John uh or um david jacobs had one case that he described in his book with this woman and he describes it as an experiment oh they're just experimenting with her because hers was she's she's flying the ship and she looks down and there's uh, a human beings chasing this alien and she's to rescue the alien and say rescue arrest and she's she's i don't know what to do you know what to do just do it fly down there and she flies the ship down and rescues this alien and so david jacobs that you know they're playing with people's minds and stuff like that, which may be what they're doing. They're teaching you a lesson of psychic phenomena, of the power of the mind that it's all within, you, all within you. The whole universe is within you. This sort of thing, and playing this little game of of being a ship. But whatever it is, I mean, people are telling exactly the same story. It's almost like you can just say, okay, next, next, you know exactly where they're going to go with the story. And the, the other key thing that I should point out is this idea that once you're one with the ship, then you can detect the ship. So if you know the story of Chris Bletsoe when he was with um, John John um, uh, um, John Alexander mm-hmm. he comes to visit him and John had visited all sorts of paranormal witchcraft people and you know also he'd been around the world looking at all this uh, paranormal stuff and he was you know um, uh, did his PhD on uh, uh, near death experiences and you know very well skilled he went to school Study Chris because that's the whole idea. If you want to know what's going on, go talk to the experiences. So he went with Chris and they're standing just uh, on the top of the hill near the river where, where Chris was um, um, abducted and when he flew the ship, he said he was flying it down the Cape Fear River and he's going, Yahoo! And he's, flying, he's sitting cross-legged on the, in the ship, just looking out the window and he was flying this ship down a couple of feet off the, off the, the river. And uh, when John went there, uh, suddenly, Chris said, "Hey, they're here," and John said, "How do you know they're here?" Chris said, "I just know they're here. They're here. They're around." And then suddenly, this thing appeared above them. This and this big light, and it just flew off into the distance, and John said he was just, he was just floored, I mean, partly because he'd never seen a UFO like that before, but because Chris knew it was coming. And that's what I think is happening, is once you've become one with the ship, you vibrate. You, you know that understanding. Even, like, experiencers will say, I know they're coming tonight. I, I can sense. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, They're coming to the house tonight. They can sort of feel the vibration of, this, of, of whatever this uh, intelligence is. And I call it an intelligence. I sort of, like, with, um, I'm sort of with Jacques Ballet on that. It's become more and more and more complex. It seems very unlikely that it's going to be totally um, ET because you'll see dead people on the ship and you'll see all sorts of spiritual lessons and, and reincarnation and stuff like that. And it's almost like somebody's giving us some sort of training that they're guiding us along a, a path and, and they're picking people who um, are there to do the message. That's what Chris, Chris Butzel's thing was. The shining lady told him, you have a, you have a burden. And it is yours to carry. And I said to Chris, do you know what the burden is? He said, Yeah, I know what the burden is. The burden is the message. I'm here to deliver a message. And a lot of these experiencers will have a message. They'll have that's why I call them peace and oneness. They'll talk about this oneness, that they're they were one with the craft and, and they could instantly move anywhere in the universe and and that the craft was alive and they could interact with the craft and just this sort of a, a new world that were we're heading into that the government is trying to discover but they aren't and you'll hear Eric Davis who is probably the one of the key guys who knows what's going on he described the fact that the government had shut the UFO program down in nineteen eighty-nine and they had shelved the whole thing because they just couldn't figure it out and that every six or seven years they take it off the shelf and then they look at it and still can't figure it out and they put it back on the shelf and my interpretation of what's going on now is that the black world cannot figure it out because they're all everything's all compartmentalized and they can't can't get anything organized and so what they've done is they have trying to try to drag the academic world into this uh, thing by doing this gradual disclosure that this is real the academics are working on it and it's just like a vacuum cleaner it's all going in the black world because the black world is trying to figure out how to turn this thing into a weapon but every indication, I've, I've followed a lot of high-level people. Every indication I've got is, number one, they do, not, uh, they do not understand how this thing works. It's way beyond them. We're, we're not flying these ships around. They, they basically, almost like Jim Semivan, the, the high-level CIA guy, said. he said, there is, there is so far gone, he said, there does not even appear to be a there there. I mean, and he, and he had an encounter with the beings in, in his room. And so they don't have any abilities to do this. But the one thing that they they did seem to have abilities, which I would say may be possible, is that the government does understand portal technology. They do have some ability to move people around through these portals. And I had followed a number of CIA people, and they kept bringing this up. And every time I would go after the anti-gravity thing, they would all fall apart. But the, the portal thing always seemed to uh, be there. And then I knew the Mission Rama people. I knew that they had opened these these portals. And I had an experience, uh, if you know, uh, the guy's name is Tim Taylor. And he's uh, close friends. He studied Chris Bledsoe very carefully. And uh, I was with him and Chris Bledsoe and a couple of people who were working at that time, Chris was getting a movie deal from Warner Brothers and uh, Chris was all he was interested in was I got to control the end of the movie because I have the message and it's going to have to be end the way I want it to end and of course Hollywood wants you know uh, good guys versus bad guys and all this kind of stuff and Chris just wouldn't go for it and he would first lawyer then he had a second lawyer they drafted it again and Chris turned it down again and this is the third third attempt and these high-level business guys were in this cabin with us and they were telling Chris, "No, no, don't don't take uh, don't take the uh, royalties. There's no royalties. Not going to get any royalties. Take the money up front." And there was this huge amounts of money we were being thrown around. And all Chris was saying is, "No, I want control of the end of the movie." And they basically uh, would not give him control of the end of the movie. And uh, that may be why the deal fell down. Uh, but um, Chris um, ex- exhibited this this ability to get get the message right, whereas the military. Uh, Wants to um, develop weapons from this.
0: Yes, Grant. So many good, good, oh my gosh, such good investigation and such good data you have. And I'm really glad you brought up movies. And Jordan Peele uh, recently came out with a movie called Nope. And as you probably know, he was speaking with the Bledsoes and I think originally planned on having them involved, but. Hollywood always has as you said a different view and scheme and they want uh, particular people in a particular genre to convey a particular message like you said with good guys bad guys making it gory um, but so true on the movie front and biologically I find it amazing that the craft seem to be biologically perfectly made for the pilots that drive them ergonomically correct and every way down to probably the DNA required to fly it. And there have been mentions, which were in fact classified previously, mentioning that this uh, technology held by our government or private aerospace companies, which for plausible deniability reasons may be contracted to hold and research the craft, but people who are primarily contactees or abductees are brought in to touch, interact, and engage with parts of the metallurgy or other parts yeah. that may be associated with the craft to see if they have uh, the conscious key of interaction. Do yeah. you think they are still at step one or are they making any progress in unlocking this enigma?
1: Every indication I've got is that they're absolutely at a standstill. They, they just simply cannot go there. Uh, they do know the consciousness uh, aspect. For example, Tom DeLong talks about going to the skip when he's in 2015, he's invited into a SCIF, a sensitive compartmented uh, information facility for Lockheed. And he said when he was there, he was talking about different things. And then the head scientist for Lockheed said, OK, well, I just want to know, how did they get here? How, do, how does a uh, propulsion system work? And because Tom DeLonge had been hanging around with Greer at that time, he broke away from Greer, but he'd been hanging around with Greer, he said, oh, I think consciousness is involved. And he said, suddenly the, 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 the uh, scientist lights up and he said, that's all the guy wanted to talk about for 45 minutes was consciousness. They had scientists for Lockheed. So they understand the consciousness, but it's in terms of, of actually uh, uh, trying to unlock it. I don't think you, you hear these things like help uh, put off Jacques Vallée and uh, Kit Green all met at a ten, Denny's restaurant. They've actually confirmed this when I put it out that this actually did take place. And it's called the core story. The core story is they were, they were looking and saying, well, there's all this stuff. We don't know what to believe. Like, how do, you, how do you know what's actually going on? And they came up with the core story of what's the core story of what we think is actually going on. And it is that we are being act, interacted by some sort of intelligence. Um, and they um, uh, we've got hardware. We've recovered hardware. And we're not having any success at, at reporting reproducing the hardware and it's this consciousness thing that that they they basically can't figure out and that's why they're going to these experiences and that's why when you, when you take a look at the big thing the bigelow contract the bigelow contract had nothing to do really with ufos as, as the way i see it is the osap program the money was given there was there was uh, atip was working there but atip didn't even have an office in the pentagon but the uh, the osap program was meant to study i say Skinwalker wrench. That's what they wanted to do. They, they, there's even a, I, I'm doing a book on uh, ports and manifestations, which is coming out shortly, and that's on the ability to move objects around and make things appear out of the ether or whatever that you'll see in physical seances and psychics and UFO experiencers and stuff like that. And um, so th- th- this aspect of of the um, the, uh, the consciousness. They, they just can't get there. They can't, they can't go there, but they do know that, that it's involved. So when they awarded the contract for OSAP, uh, this 22 million. They went to Skinwalker Ranch. Now, what were they interested in the Skinwalker Ranch? There really was not many reports of UFOs. There was reports of orbs, cattle mutilations, apports things of disappearing, reappearing. Like the woman comes home and with all her groceries in, in in these bags, and she puts the bags on the counter, puts all the groceries away, goes to the next room, comes back, and all the the groceries are back in the bag. That kind of stuff. That's what they were trying to figure out, and they were trying to figure out uh, like the the original DIA guy that went there. To look whether they were going to do the contract. Said he sat down and Bigelow was sitting across from him. And some and the the Bigelow's head scientist was sitting off to the side. And he said suddenly this thing appears, this metal thing appears behind Bigelow. And he said I'm the only one that can see it. My vantage point it was exactly where I could see it, and nobody else could see it. And he looked away, and then he looked back to see maybe he was hallucinating. And no, oh, it was still there. And that's the guy that awarded the contract because they wanted to go in there. And they the, the big story I think that they they, they really liked was the bulls. If you know the story at Skinwalker Ranch that the, the guy said, oh, help they don't mess with my bulls. He had these four prize bulls that were worth huge money and he goes running out of the house in the, in the corral the four bulls are gone and he goes, oh no, my bulls are gone, I got my bulls and then he, he's looking around and he sees this trailer and it's, it hadn't been open for years. There's this uh, lock on the trailer and he went, I wonder if they put the bulls in the trailer. And he opens the, opens the lock and opens the trailer, and these bulls are stuffed in there like sardines, and then they just panic, and they just destroy the trailer, these four bulls. That's what they're trying to figure out. How do you put bulls in a trailer through, through the metal? And the other thing that they wanted to do was they wanted to, to um, uh, figure out the, the um, sort of uh, the ability to move stuff around. And they actually use a, there's a 1974 document that I, re, that I referenced a DIA document from 1974 where they talk about apportations and they say if we can develop this technology, we can go into the enemy. We can take their documents, bring them here, photocopy them, and put them back where we found them, and they, the enemy will not even know we were there. That's the kind of stuff. So they're trying to get the technology. How do you make stuff disappear? How do you make it reappear? Or the, the, the incident that, that everybody's famous with is the incidents with the Special Forces guys. So these Special Forces guys, they're armed. They're hunting the Skinwalker. They're on the property. They're brought in by Bigelow. And, of course, they run into the force, which basically uh, actually talks in their head. This is part of the story that is not in the Skinwalker book. They hear this voice in their head, and it says, Leave, you are not welcome. And these guys are just absolutely petrified. They feel this cold and this sort of feeling of evil. And, and they back away and they go home. And that's when they have these orbs follow them. And their their kids are haunted by these orbs and the wives. And they're seeing these dogmen and this horrible thing. And basically it's a reflective type thing where uh, – Brandon Fugle, who's the new owner of Skinwalker, says there's a reflective nature to this phenomena. So if you're hunting it with guns, if you're having a bad day and you go onto to the ranch, get ready, you could have a real bad experience. And so when, when Brandon Fugle flies in with his helicopter to the ranch, he says they go, they pray as they're going in. And he said it's reflective, be very careful. Or, or George Knapp said... Those that were the most aggressive to the phenomena at Skinwalker had the worst experiences. So there's this reflective nature to the phenomena that, that it, can be, it can be very, very damaging. And be very careful. I always make the joke, don't take a, don't take a gun to a CE-5. But I did actually have a CE-5, these people in, in Georgia. I just interviewed them. And they said these two guys went into the, the portal and they were injured. And I, I'm working very heavy on this, whether people get injured and good versus bad, eat, eat, eat demons or aliens, and I said to them, I said, oh, they were injured? What happened? She said, well, the one guy, he died shortly after that, and the other guy, his cancer came back. And I said, oh, I said, well, you, you talked about when you're at the c 5 the, the you all have guns because there's, you know, rattlesnakes and there's all of stuff. So everybody brings a gun to the CE-5. I said, were these guys armed when they went into the portal? And she said, oh, yeah. And she said, they were Special Forces guys. And I said, well, thank you. That, that sort of explains why if they were injured, that you, you can't be going into a, a, a somebody else's world and bringing your guns with you and even the the one with I, I taught talked reference the the good versus evil thing with uh, the Rendlesham Forest where one guy is injured, John Burroughs is injured, and I always asked John and I asked everybody. I said, okay, so why was John only injured if this is a radioactive type force that was given off when this craft sort of flared up? That's what happened. Were, this thing was over the hill and it suddenly flared up and they hit the ground and um i said why was john the only one injured why weren't the other two guys injured? they were right there too and and then the story was told by the third guy that was in the back Peniston, no no kabanzak and kabanzak said when the thing flared up Peniston yelled open fire and john pulled his gun And just so john burroughs was injured and i say hey, this is a reflective property, that you, if you decide you're going to try to shoot it down like the Cubans did, the Americans had a story. They actually intercepted a communication where a UFO was coming in over Cuba, and um, they, they, they were listening to the, the two guys talk, and they were told, uh, take it down, take it down. And the front guy uh, locked on, and as soon as he locked on, they could hear the, the wingman saying, he's gone, he's gone, and the plane just totally disintegrated, just gone, like that. And this is all picked up by U.S. Air Force Intelligence. The Stanton Friedman got on it, and uh, the FBI was involved. They went and threatened one of the investigators to shut up about this because the investigators were saying, if you don't talk to us, we're going to the Cuban embassy to get this story. And that's when the FBI showed up. So the government watches all this kind of stuff. They're trying to get it in behind the scenes. The unfortunate thing is they're trying to get it they turned it into weapons, whereas when we had the Canadian thing, the Canadians wanted to do it different. The Canadians don't want to do the, the military threat thing. They want to do a scientific investigation, and the high-level people that I talked to in the United States just aren't interested. We're not, we're not going to help you if that's what you're going to do. We, we're not interested. They called it the poison pill. We don't want to get involved in that, but to me, it's got to be a scientific investigation. It's got to be for the good of mankind, and not to see if uh, you're going to build weapons and uh, if you can strip the leaves twice as fast off the leaves, the, the trees, or whatever you want to do. That this can be a very damaging technology. It's, it's so powerful that I think there's the message has to go along with this thing, this idea of oneness that we are all one, that we all, um, you know, are connected. And that um, you can go anywhere in the universe you want. It's all it's all here now. But it has you, you. You can use it for good, or you can use it for evil.
0: Yeah, there is there is such such a deep enigma. I'm glad you brought in the uh, the fact that John Ramirez, which is ex CIA. I mean, coming back to him, he has such fascinating insight into the world of UFOs, and I have questions about that, but. When it comes to stuff people aren't supposed to know because they are top secret or closely held to the chest of those in the invisible college, you always seem to know about it, Grant. Uh, For example, your knowledge of Timothy Taylor, who I always call Travis Taylor the designated decoy, not to take away from his knowledge or accomplishments. I mean, in fact, you know, Travis Taylor, uh, he and I have a lot of things in common as Especially as far as experience and in, in events we have both witnessed in the area. But getting back to um, American Cosmic and the player that was known as Tyler Durden, this is a closely held secret. You 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 know all this stuff. And getting back to the craft and the metallurgy or metamaterials as they call it, many believe that this metal is the key or the breadcrumbs to a larger pattern of reality. People act as if they have this blazing evidence that they have found. Um, They usually send it to Jacques Vallée. And I believe, and I'm pretty sure that you may believe, that they or our friends who control the craft or intelligence in charge of it are actually dropping these breadcrumbs on purpose. What are your thoughts and why are they doing that?
1: Yeah, that's one of the things I brought up with Jacques Vallée when I interviewed him is that um, if you listen to... um, the question was asked about crashes to Bob Bigelow, and he said, well, oh, yeah, Roswell happened. He said, uh, but this happened to other places. They, there was one in uh, Russia, there was one in China, there was one in South America. He said, I think they're seeding them around the world. I think they're seeding them. And um, other people have, have uh, sort of described the fact. Uh, and, and so when I met um, uh, Tim Taylor, he was a friend of my friend here in Winnipeg, he was a businessman. That's how I got invited and uh, they had been to the, the crash site. My friend had uh, talked to Tim Taylor at a UFO conference. He said, we're going to do this dig at this UFO crash site, do you want to come? And so Tim Taylor said, yeah, I'll, yeah, sure, I'll come. And they went, and as soon as he saw the honeycomb material, uh, he apparently got very excited. He said, this is legitimate. And this is the one that they call the, the gifting field. Mm. And so there's this idea that, that, that this is uh, uh, stuff that's, that's being dropped on purpose. And uh, if you read American Cosmic by Diane Pasolka, she says that, that when they get there, again, it's this reflective aspect. She said when, she said when we got there, and uh, Gary Nolan was with them, they changed his name, but it was Gary Nolan, her, they were blindfolded and taken to this site, which I know where it is, I've actually got photographs of the site, and uh, then they took their blindfolds off, and she said the first thing they did is they, Tim Taylor started to pray and And uh, they built an altar, and she said that there's all these altars built, and it's a government property, and all these altars are built there by all these people that come on, and they all will do this praying thing and build an altar before they go on the site and Tim Taylor had referred to it as, as the gifting field, and that's the idea that they're they're dropping this stuff that they're sort of not, not giving you the whole thing, but they're giving you little pieces that sort of uh, get us to figure it out for ourselves. They're not here to solve our problems and to, you know, all this kind of stuff, but they drop this kind of stuff because they've, they've, sh- this stuff's been dropping all the time. So when I said to Jacques Ballet, I said, "Shock!" I said, this is, this is crazy. Even even the whole thing with, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, the early days where they were working with Yuri Geller, and, and that's when they had the apport. Where in the ice cream, where Yuri Geller bites down and he, he gets this pin, and it's Edgar Mitchell's pin, flight pin that he'd lost two years before, and he used it. He said, Where'd oh, you get that? I lost that two years ago. And then when they were back in the lab, they were in the lab, and there was, uh, how, um, Edgar mitchell and hell Hel uh, putoff were in one room. Yuri Geller was in the other room and they all said, "Dink they hear this this the sound behind them they Look behind them, and the back part of the fan had just fallen out of the ceiling behind them. so I contacted j- uh off and I said, because hell was working on this metal thing too and I said, Hell, come on this is this is like this is not the metal this is this is gifting stuff this is you had it happen in your lab. you know this is our ports and manifestations there this stuff's so falling even like um um Holt, who was the man the head of um uh, the the, the uh, force thing when when that happened he was the commanding officer there he even he had an, a port fall it was a, he was in America and a British pound coin dropped out of the ceiling and rolled and hit him in a boot and he said that changed his whole life when that happened to him he said it was just blurred by this thing so you have this this I said to Jacques Vallée, I said. Come on, Jack. This is this is crazy. I mean, this, this stuff is falling all the time. And the, actually, the first case was not um, try, uh, the uh, nineteen forty-seven June. Uh, case with uh, his pilot. I can't remember his name. It was actually the the Maury Island was three days before that. The, the UFO thing actually starts with this huge explosion. With this Maury Island stuff falling out of this UFO that explodes in in Washington, and you see this over and over again. Even we had a piece that we found in in uh, in uh, the collection of uh, James McDonald. We were in 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 looking at the files. In Tucson, and there was one came flying out of the sky in 1939, embedded into the into the in some guy's garden, and he gave it to his wife. And they actually brought the piece to NASA in 1967 um, to analyze this piece. It was 99% nickel. Uh, that nothing was built at that time in the sky that was 99% nickel, and it had a a metal core running through the middle of this thing, and it just came out of nowhere. So I said to Jack, I said, come on, Jack, this looks like they're just dropping this stuff to to play with our minds and to give us little hints and stuff, and Jack said, oh, I think I was the one that came up with that term. So they all believe this. They, they all know that this stuff is not. It's, I even said to Jacques, I said, I said, to hell, I said to Jacques, I said, come on, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, you, you, you come from another galaxy and you fly, you know, through to mist stars and black holes and you're avoiding all this, you know, uh, asteroids and stuff and you make it all the way here and then. Pieces start falling off the craft. Man, this is not, they're they're dropping this stuff on purpose. And so they'll show you stuff like, I think they've got some technology there, like in terms of understanding that these, this metal is being built one atom at a time and they're layering this stuff down. Now that kind of stuff they can figure, but in terms of building the craft, they're always going to be missing that, that component of, of consciousness to turn the thing on. That that you can have the the metal, uh, but you're always going to run up against this rod, rod block of conscious. And that's the whole thing. People have that's the material world. We have to. I had the, a download experience in 2016 where I was I was told if the world is made out of little nuts and bolts, that's one world with certain rules and regulations. But if the world is made out of consciousness, that's a completely different world, and all the rules are going to change. And so people think, well, we have the the brain creates consciousness. And uh, anybody who's had an out of body experience knows that's not true because you can look back at your body and you can see your brain, you can see your head. And, and where's your consciousness? It's not in your head, your, your head is in your consciousness. And, and so th- this is the, w- with the, the part that people miss, is that there's this, uh, the world is made out of consciousness, that consciousness creates matter, not the other way around. So people have this idea, we're going to get a machine, we're going to get this consciousness, wherever it's, whatever it's made out of, we're going to stick to consciousness in the machine, but it's the other way around. Consciousness creates a me- machine. We, it's almost like God did not create the heavens and the earth. God created the sparks of the divine, and we are the ones creating the heaven and earth. As we move along we 're creating it through our consciousness, and we and so whenever you think of something, you the world becomes uh, a, a more magnificent, it becomes more complex you, you, you with your senses, you take stuff out of the environment and you create a new idea or a new concept or whatever and the, the universe is just made out of this intelligence and, and knowledge, and every time Somebody lives. They add to that in, that the glory and the magnificence of the universe, and it just gets more complex and bigger and bigger and bigger. That's my interpretation of how it works. It's all made out of consciousness, but we've got a a, a, a while to go before we we make that. But you've seen you see a lot. There's actually a, a group that's actually signed a, and I think there's 200 or 400 scientists that actually signed this manifesto that say. Post-material world that they no longer believe matter is the the the, the, the prime mover and a lot of people failed to recognize that the original guys the original quantum physics guys were all realists they all believed that, that that consciousness was primary they like Max Planck nothing gets behind consciousness they all understood this concept and that was the big fight in the 1927 Solvay Conference that the big fight was over this thing about God and rolling dice, and, 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 and Einstein and Bohr having this c- conflict about what is co- primary, how does it work, and and Bohr's basically saying, no, consciousness is primary, and, and, and Einstein still wanted to believe there was a, an objective world out there that existed without us, and, and he, that's why he said, I'd like to know the moon is behind me when I'm not looking, and actually no, the moon isn't behind you, it's this concept that, that is going to have to change in terms of understanding that, that we are creating the world, this dual-slip thing that. That when you, uh, or as uh, John Wheeler, who is the uh, successor to Einstein at Princeton, said, there is no out there, out there. This is a participatory universe. We are, we help in building the universe. And that's something that we, we will gradually change. We have forever to figure it out. But it's, it's it, once that changes, then we make the move and, and, and consciousness will take the place that it should. But right now, we, it's just been ignored. It's like Richard Feynman said uh, shut up and calculate. Just use the quantum physics equations to make ma- uh, ele- uh, you know electronic stuff and business and stuff like that, and forget about the, psych- the philosophical implications of this dual slit experiment. All this kind of stuff. Just we don't need to explain what where this is coming from. We just use the the equations that work to make technological stuff. But you and I and other people on this thing. We're working on the bottom level is what does all this mean This quantum physics stuff. It has very spiritual implications. The same as the UFOs. I say in the end, I say UFOs will be a lot less physical than you think. It'll be way more spiritual than people think, and people will be very upset about that. It's going to be a thousand, at least a thousand times more complex than what we think. We have no pieces of the puzzle right now, and it will not have a hint of capitalism. It has this, what is now being worked on by science, by DARPA and people, swarm intelligence. The fact that, it's, that people working together as a, as a system, like a beehive or like something like that, are way more efficient. They have all sorts of things that you can't do as an individual. That, that, that's that's going to be the whole thing that even Tom DeLong said. It's a hive mentality. We have to kill them. And we, so we have this idea... But it, it is a, a – they're all doing their job. They're, it's not like uh, we do where we're in a football huddle and, and you say, well, I'm not going to block. Forget it. I'm going for fast. Don't tell me what to do. And everybody's doing their own thing and, and it all falls apart whereas the, you can see the intelligence behind this phenomenon is very organized. It's just doing its job, just going through it, and the experiencers are the ones that are carrying the message, like, like Ron Johnson, whose book will hopefully come out, and Chris Bledsoe's book actually came out yesterday. It was, mm-hmm. it, it was released yesterday. So the, these messages gradually uh, uh, move across. It's, it's like, uh, as Max Planck said, science, and I would say ufology, advance one, one funeral at a time and that when you get the new generation will not be offended with the ideas, that they will pick it up and it will be, oh, yeah, sure, there's aliens, there's multi-dimensions and stuff. Kids all believe this stuff already. You don't have to convince them, and they're the ones that will change the world. We just have to... Do our little job to pass our little message along, and uh, it, it, it's like the consciousness thing. Once you get like ten percent of the people, then the thing just flips. It suddenly everybody, like I say to people, when did gay marriage sort of become acceptable? And everybody goes, oh, I don't know, like what 15 20 years? It'll just happen, and nobody really knew it happened. It, it'll just flip, and and people will suddenly take it as as accepting uh,
0: reality. It is like a drip, isn't it? Like a constant yeah. drip, and yeah. you know. Good point. We've seen seeding theories since former member of President Eisenhower's National Security Council and Foreign Technology Desk, Colonel Philip Corso's book Day After Roswell, and even before that. And this theory of seeding, such as mentioned in the gifting field, the site in New Mexico, there seems to be a connection to transfers of intelligence. Many people, it seems, are somewhat involved or seem to have the ability to take things from idea or theory to market without exactly being able to explain how they get from point A to point B and these ideas become patents and then the patents yeah. become projects and I mean yeah. I,
1: the, I think I think that's one of the reasons behind the the non disclosure is I was listening to a, I listened. There's a podcast on DARPA, just about DARPA projects. And DARPA, I said since 1990, is the organization that'll be working heavily on this thing, on because the, they work on the leading edge. And um, the, the the they had said that they the one guy had uh, they, they interviewed had 101 patents. And one of the people that we've talked about earlier in the show was was Tim Taylor. Now Tim Taylor, when I talked to him, there was no secret about who he was and his name and stuff. That all came later. All this secret stuff. Mm-hmm. But when when I knew him, it was he didn't say don't keep my name secret or he don't you know keep the secret away. And he he I'm into downloads, so I'd written the book on inspired the parent role creativity about where Nobel prizes and where people get their inventions and stuff like this out of the field and people have ideas pop in their head and stuff like that. And Tim Taylor had that. So Tim was talking to me about his download. And he had this one that was sold for millions of dollars on, on NASDAQ. And he gets, and if you read American Cosmic, he has this, this system of downloads where he'll, he'll sleep for eight hours. Then he gets up. And then he says, you've got to go back to bed for one hour. and You sleep for another hour. Then he gets up and he gets a big glass of water. And he goes and sits on, on his deck in, in, in Florida. And he drinks his big glass of water in the sunshine. And he said at that point, they start talking to him. And so he's got 40... Patents from from the intelligence. He believes it's coming from the intelligence behind the UFO phenomena. And the first one, he said to me, he said, you know, Grant, he said, you know, that idea I got, and it's in American Cosmic, where he they, he gets taken to the the, the Pentagon, and then they, they, this one-star general goes like, who came this idea? And then they all pointed Tim Taylor, Tim's going to, be, I thought he was going to get an award. <laughs> and and that that one, they actually put on the space shuttle. Tim told me that he was trying to get on the space shuttle, and has to do with with uh, not, uh, metal not um, you know, interfering with joints where the, the tissue and the, and the joint will, will work together. And she uh, said finally a scientist signed off on it and they put on the space shuttle and it worked. And so then they, they developed this and, and this huge company was sold for millions of dollars and Tim's now got 40 inventions and they're all medical inventions that, that they're giving him. So he claims that these, these uh, 40 inventions have been given to him. And there's uh, a lot of people who will claim that they're given like even uh, Betty Andreas. And I asked her husband was all upset. The government was watching watching him and her and tapping the computer. And I said, well, are they giving your wife, is the aliens giving your wife how to fly the ship? He said, absolutely. She draws diagrams. And I said, well, are you surprised the government's watching you? Of course, they're watching you. And they're trying to figure it out as well. So yeah, people are getting these inventions. And that's what I say. And, in terms of invention, people think it's smart people. It's usually people that that get these inspirations. They're they're really not smart. They're they're they're, they're just right brain people that can cut off. Same as most musicians, top musicians can't read and write music. They're they're they're, they're very right brain. Re- music reading music is a very left brain thing that you practice scales and stuff like that. Where John Le- or John. Paul McCartney said, "I've never done a scale, nor do I ever intend to do a scale. It'll ruin my music." And he, he can't read music. And he, they just sit there and wait for this song to come. Same as Tim Taylor and uh, and Chris Blutso gets a lot of messages and a lot of experiences will tell you that they get messages. They can tap into the field. Uh, there's all these books that are coming. I'm trying to help these people publish books and people like Ron Johnson who have a lifetime of experiences that basically they want them to put this book out and uh, that happens over and over again. I'll talk to people and I'll say, do you think you have a mission? They'll say, oh, absolutely, I got a mission. They'll say what the mission is or they'll say, well, I think I got a mission. I'm not sure what it is. And that's why I say, well, you got to figure it out because – if reincarnation is a fact then you and I probably came here to do something and all we gotta do is figure out what are we here to do and are we doing it and forget about what everybody else is doing because in the end I think when you when you cross over you just get asked one question how did it work out because you and I planned it we, we put the whole thing together you can't blame your mother-in-law you can't blame the dog ate your homework. you can't blame the government or you know whoever when you get over the other side they're gonna go time out time out this is about you don't bring anybody else how did you do What you had you know ups and downs how did you handle the downs how do you handle the apps? How did you add to, to the world? How do you make it a better place? That's all they're interested in. And and apparently everybody says the same thing. I could have done better. And that's that's the bottom line to me is I came here to probably do something. You came here to do something. And are we doing something to make the world a better place or are we not? And that's that's all that really matters.
0: Such a good point, Grant. It does seem like we are all just little polished arrows in the quivers of these cosmic archers and this intelligence. And it brings me back, you mentioned, you know, how a lot of these downloads uh, lead to medical or beneficial inventions. And it reminds me of the principal investigator and chief scientist on Skinwalker Ranch, Eric Bard, who has a similar track record. And, you know, this theory of seeding, these ideas, as you said, they, they They go from patent to project and they save lives in the medical field or help humanity in other inexplicable ways. There seems to be a universal consciousness, which if someone doesn't monopolize on it, it seems someone else involved in the same food chain will will shortly thereafter. And as you know, Jacques Vallée is involved in venture capitalism. And much like venture capitalism, these businesses, technologies, and much more come in waves, kind of like uh, from somewhere else. What do you think the reasons for this are? Why are they seeding us?
1: Well, I think it's, it's just to move, move the process along. To It's almost like spirit guides. Like they're, they're there to sort of help us. We have to do our part to link in, and that's the key, where even Gary Nolan talks about linking in. He says, at one point, he says, I don't know how to, I don't know what, no, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I know how to do it. And I was just listening to another interview where he's talking about this. And I, and I can understand when they start talking about inspiration and downloads because I've had it myself. And he, I don't think even Gary Nolan knows about it, but he talks about this thing where he'll work through the problem, work through the problem, and then he'll write it down on a piece of paper and put it beside the bed. And he said, either the next morning or within the next couple of days, that question will be answered in his head. And last, the, the interview I was listening to. Last night, he talked about, he started talking about inspiration, so I started writing down exactly what he was saying, and he said, when it comes, when I get an inspirational idea, it's like a color or a flavor, and I remember it because I know it's correct, and that's the thing that impressed me most about my download, is when you get one of these downloads, it's not like a good idea, when it comes, you know, this is the way it works. It's true. It's like the, where he says, "I know it's correct," and that's the thing. The weirdest part is to try to explain to people. I, you get this sense of absolute certainty. Like the thing about is this world made out of consciousness or is it made out of matter? When I had that, I was I was walking down this street, and um, it's. I live in a very cold area, so it was it was not winter, but it was pretty pretty cold. I had gloves on, and when it came, I knew. This is correct. It was starting to come. And it was the first one download was just the three consciousness things where they put these three pieces together in my head in 2012. The one in 2017 was coming and it, it went on for a couple of minutes. And it, it was just, is it this or is it that? You got this wrong. Is, is it one life? Or is it multiple lives? Is it, uh, you know, pattern? Is it, is it uh, non-pattern? All this kind of stuff. And I knew this, this is the way it was. And so I knew, get a piece of paper. And I get this piece of paper and I take my glove off and I'm, and I'm quickly writing this down as fast as I can. And these ideas are coming one after another, one after another. And it was, it's not like, a, you know it's correct. You've got to write this down. It, it's, it's the way it works. And, and then it came to maybe 15 of them or whatever. And then it sort of eased off. And, and I put the pen in my pocket, put my glove back on, started walking took about five steps. All of a sudden, boom, it starts again. And I grab my glove and I'm writing it down. And that's when I, when I hear... Uh, someone like Gary Nolan says, I, there's a certain color or a certain taste, and I know I have to remember that, some, that effect because it's correct. And he, it's a, he's the same thing. It's this idea. Then he's got uh, how many patents? He's got piles of patents. It's the same thing. So he says, I don't know how it works, but I know how to make it work. And he, so he's working on this pattern. I think we can actually teach people to do this, because the idea that everything is in the field, all the inventions are in the field, almost like, uh, you know, a Tesla, when he has the alternating current engine uh, motor. He's walking through a, a, a park in Budapest with a friend, and all of a sudden it comes into his head, and he, he draws it in the sand. He, he shows his friend, hey, look at it, and, and he draws this, this, this top uh, invention of all time that comes to him and that's the thing is i think you can teach that to people this this intuitive thing of how to shut the the left brain down and how to pick up the answer to work on it and to to put it beside the bed and these kind of meditations that people do and stuff like that that gary nolan says you know i know how to do this now i know exactly how to and i do the same thing the way i do it is is my downloads come when i'm walking so i'll walk 5 6 miles and and what it does is it quiets your your left brain down and eventually it sort of goes off And then suddenly an idea, and it's sort of like your own head. It's like an idea, but it's a real good idea. And then you you write that down. And I think that's, so everybody has their different process. And mine is walking. Some people will use meditation. Gary Nolan uses sleep because just before you go to sleep and just before you wake up, you have this hip-hopic states where you're in the other field and you're you're awake, but you're in the other field and these ideas come to you. Or even like Deepak Chopra. Deepak Chopra has written 90-plus books. Deepak Chopra says every single one of his books is written by the same thing. He says when I wake up in the morning, all I do is I I don't move. I just lie in bed and I look at the ceiling. And whatever comes into my head is what I the story for the day. And he said that's where the 90 books come from from lying in the bed for half an hour when he wakes up every morning and all these ideas come to him and that's his 90 books is he doesn't take any credit for them and so we could teach this I think that's the contact modality thing is I show there's all these different modalities that people use to get these ideas and they they pop out and, and that's why I think the the secrecy so if you're working on the on the black budget program you're not gonna release it you're gonna fight to stop it being released because you're the guys getting all the patents on this thing this Stuff is going to be worth. Uh, I know the one that Tim Taylor sold. I heard what this was sold for. I mean, I'm talking, <laughs> we're talking huge money that this thing was sold for. So, a patent's worth a lot of money. And if you've got an idea and you're just about ready to develop this some technology on the UFO metal or something on how to layer this stuff, you are not going to release it until you got the patent filed. And so, that's I think what the problem that you're going to have is that everybody knows this is worth big money. And they're they're all holding back until they they can they can file their patents because they, that's the way. Where I didn't realize that when you're in DARPA, you can file these patents. It was just kind of weird. You you get the government to help you build this stuff and all the expertise and graduate students and stuff like that working for you, and then you get to file the patent and make all the money. I thought the government would own it, but no, it's the the scientist owns it.
0: It's unbelievable. It is a lot like Steve Jobs. You know, he had that idea. This is what I want the end product to be. Now figure it out and yeah. um. Tim Taylor, I mean, he has a book that I read called *Launch Fever*, which is a great read, yeah. subtitled yeah. *An Entrepreneur's Journey*. And I love how you mentioned the sleep eight hours, set a uh, get up, go back to bed for an hour, then the solar download. Now, nanotech is still technology, and I wanted to read a, por- a small portion out of your book, if it's okay, which is nanotech. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, nanotechnology used for spaceships and how our ships, in a sense, are grown and they have this ability to shift their shape and even within the cabin to provide what we need, when we need it, and when we don't need it. it is simp- It simply absorbs back into the walls or the floors or the ceilings, and it's all made out of say- the same seamless material. Again, we're back to this biological, almost grown entity. And lastly, why do you believe it is that only 14% of the experiencers are able to fly the craft.
1: Well, maybe certain things are given. Like a lot of people, um, I, I'm doing an interview with uh, James Ian Dolly, and his big thing sh- seems to be driven by this. He's given this sort of end of the world scenario. So everybody's got their own little mission. So a lot of people have this, like Chris Blessow, his message is not the technology, his message is this. Uh, message from the lady about the, the oneness and, and uh, you know, love is the core of the universe and all this kind of stuff, where people are, so the, the, the flying of the ship thing, I think is is part of a, and I, there are maybe not even flying the ship, but you, I guess you would be, because, you, because it's all mental. They're trying to get across this idea, so the message that they have is this mental idea, because a lot of the stuff you start to see, it, it shifts, that's where people say, well, we've got it flying around, I'm going, give your head a shake. If you look at some of the stories, these pilots tell about the inside of the ship there's there's absolutely no way we have this technology the latest one i just heard and and it's in a ni- 1973 leonard stringfield who used to do the crash retrieval stuff and he had like 300 people come to him and tell him about autopsies and crashes and stuff and i'm going that's that's seeding man <laughs> i've never had a person come to me talking to me about oh i was a part of a, an alien autopsy he had you know, like 300 people came to him and, and he had a 1973 case where, where, where a pilot or a, a photographer was flown from Hawaii to Norton Air Force Base and then was driven two, two hours away from Norton Air Force Base and went into this hangar and they had this crane and on the crane they had a, a netting and inside the netting was this UFO that was 30 feet across and so this guy's job was to film the inside the panels and if you see in the in this sky pilot book I actually have Chris Bletso draws the panels I asked him to draw they have all these symbols on the panels so this guy's job was to go in and film all the panels inside the ship and get these these uh, I guess they're going to try to figure out what the what the what the symbols mean or whatever and he said when he went in the ship he said it was 30 feet across and we went inside the ship and he said I could pick up football and I could throw it as hard as I as I could against any wall, and I would not hit a wall. It was that big. A guy from New Zealand I just interviewed, he said when he was on the ship, he looked to the left, he could not see the end of the ship. He could not see. It was so long. It was so big. He couldn't see the end of the ship. He looked to his right. He couldn't see the end of the ship. It was that big. And they describe, as you just as just read, that they can actually change the ship. They can make the ship as big as they want. They can make things disappear. The, the guy from uh, uh, Japan talked about they they pulled a book out of a wall. The, ball, the wall looked like totally seamless. And the guy just put his hand by the wall, and this book appeared out of the wall, And 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 that kind of stuff where they can, they can make it as big as they want. And that goes back to the first one when Pam Dupuy first told me that story. I was going to throw her out of the house. I thought she was totally nuts. Like, come on, you're flying a ship. Going, You think I'm stupid? You know, I'm not going to believe that. And then she told me the later thing she said, oh, they, they can make the ships as big as they want. They have ships that are as big as the solar system. And even to today, I go, yeah, okay, well, yeah, sure they can. And that, that's the thing. I mean, that, if that's true. If that technology is actually true, that they can make it as big as they want or as small as they want. You can walk past a rock on your walk, you know, down down in a park and there's a rock there. And inside that rock, there may be a civilization inside there. This is this whole idea that that it can be as big or as small as they want and they can, they can make things disappear. It's all seamless and it's all alive. And, and that's the key thing I think, think people have to realize, is that when you're going to have AI, when you're going to have this kind of stuff, it has to be alive. It has to have biological uh, uh, components to it because biological components like a, like a even an atom or like a like i a, a, a small insect you think they're stupid they've got all sorts of only a, a bee has only a million neurons and they can do all sorts of things that human beings could not even begin to do they can count they can they can describe exactly how far things are away at what angles to the sun it's just you, the the more you look at them the smarter they look and it's this biological aspect that biology is able to take in from the environment is able to absorb and then make it bigger uh, add to it and and bring it out and make the world just keeps getting bigger and more complex and more intelligence and this sort of thing so all the biological material is doing it and and metal t- unless you have the biological element to this thing you won't and I think that's what would get green not kid green well I guess Kit green's involved too but what they're trying to do is they're trying to look at the DNA whether you could change the DNA and and it, to me it's the idea if you can get the DNA and you can input uh, different things in there maybe you can. Input uh, how a bird flies. If you can find out, you know the 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 the, the DNA part of the, the bird and put that in there, and this intelligence, you can actually build an intelligence by altering DNA to give it quality so that it gets more complex, more complex, and eventually you can build ships. That's what you're going to have to do it out of DNA material, and that's when I when I see Nolan working on that, I think yeah, I don't know, maybe they're maybe they're going down that road. They're trying to figure out, you know, how can you the, the ship is biological. And how, how do they get the biology into the DNA? Because the DNA is just like a like a big library full of all, all the material that needs to be known. And if you can add into that and add components to that, or if the beings can show you how to do it, or you can get their DNA, or they can get the metal and figure out how it's done, I mean, that that's the key. But I think we're so far away. I said at least a thousand times more complex. The more you look at it... The more complex it looks. And in when 1975, when I started, all it was was UFOs, and uh, they're probably from uh, you know some other planet, and they're made out of you know nuts and bolts. They got an engine in there, and uh, they they accidentally came here. And, and there's been four abductions. There was Travis Walton in '67, of police officers Pascagoula and Travis was abducted the same year as I as my experience and that was it. There was four abductions. It was not not a big thing. Now it's like you know every you know, all this abduction and then you start wondering is, is abduction actually abduction because nobody ever sees anybody being abducted. Are people being abducted or is this a mind thing or is it all mind thing? Is it all uh, you know out of body experiences? Is it all mental? Is there even a physical world? That's you start getting at that stuff when you look at the the very complexities of UFOs and you start to wonder if there is even a physical world, whether, whether it's just you know made out of consciousness or stuff. And there's no way we're close to that yet, because we still are in this sort of uh, paradigm of the material world that has given us cell phones. And, and we think that, you know, if you're a, a, a mystic in, in, in uh, a Buddhist guy who has all these ideas about how the how the Maya works and all this kind of stuff for the Hindus, uh, he can't build a cell phone, so he's stupid. We, we have this idea that if you can build Material. Then you're smart, but anything philosophical is that really doesn't count for for anything. Is that material domination, which which is slowly shifting. Which I think with the new kids coming in with Star Wars and the ideas of, of science fiction and uh, all this kind of stuff, that we are being shifted slowly and surely. And uh, it's all about the lessons. So it doesn't matter if we get here, get to the end. You know, a thousand years from now, we're we're like in the West. We want everything yesterday. But here it could be a 1,000 or 10,000 years. It really doesn't matter. It's a journey. Are you actually learning something? Because it's, it's you and I coming in, and we may come in as the evil alien next time, or we may come in as the, you know, whatever, the gray or whatever. Because I always say to people, if they start maintaining the grays or reptilians or evil, then I say, well, if you're born next next lifetime as a reptilian are you now evil no it's just about the experience like they're learning we're learning everybody's learning you're living these things and you may come back as your greatest enemy the next time to learn the lessons that you needed to learn about about him and it's all about lessons and and all it's all just a, a there's a, a comedian that i always try to refer, never remember his name but he was a comedian he died very young and he talks about the ride it's called the ride and um he he says it's life like a ride. He says, you get on, it's like a roller coaster. You get on there and it's so real. You actually think this is act actually happening. You go up and you go down. You go round and round and there's lots of noise and, noise and light slashing. And you get to the end and you get off and you go, oh, it's just a ride. <laughs> and that's what life is. It's just a ride. You, you, you go up and down and round and round. You learn things and you don't learn things. And then you get off and it's, it's a ride. You get off the stage. As, as Shakespeare says, all the world's a stage. All the men and women are but actors. They have their entrances and exits, and each man plays many roles. So we're playing, as I say to people, you are not the actor on the stage. You are playing an actor on the stage. Because you were King Henry VIII in grade 12, doesn't mean you're King Henry VIII anymore. You just played it. It's just a role. And when you leave the stage, you're going to leave that role, almost like Whitley Strieber's wife came back to him after she died. She said, Whitley, I am no longer Anne, but I will always be Anne to you. She's on into another life, and, and thanks for the life we played, and I played Anne in your life. Thank you for that experience, and that's what it's about. So experience is about learning. It's about adding to the universe, adding to the intelligence, adding to the magnificence of the universe. Take it in, experience it, and create something and, and make the world a better place, and that's what it's all
0: about. So true, Grant, and I, I love that comedian too, uh, the legendary Bill Hicks and (laughs) (laughs) speaking of legendary that this has been great the ufo sky pilots pilots of peace and oneness and you you i mean there's more than 50 witnesses that have told you the exact same details in this book you present over three dozen ufo sky pilots that you've interviewed about their experiences they all tame they all say the same fantastic story with similar accounts The witnesses range from average civilians to retired Air Force colonels. And the accounts in this book seem to support the fact that consciousness is crucial to understanding the UFO mystery. Such an amazing contribution as far as a book is concerned, Grant. It's another mind-blowing book to add to your list about the research and investigations you do. And you bring this all so altruistically to all of us. Your work is greatly appreciated by myself and I hope countless others. Where can listeners get your book? Where can they keep up with your work and keep up with your efforts?
1: Well, Ryan, um, I, have, um, uh, I don't have a website anymore. I used to have the website and then I took it down, um, the presidential one, because once I made the shift and it was very complex and I couldn't run it. So uh, Presidential UFO is my Facebook site where I'll post stuff every day. Uh, Grant Cameron, uh, at Grant Cameron is my Twitter account. And I have a YouTube, White House UFO YouTube, where I interview people. And I have a podcast which is called uh, Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast, where I uh, interview uh, a lot of uh, the sky pilots. On on my um, Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast, if you go to the first 12 episodes that I did last year, uh, I have most of the Sky pilots on there, or say twelve Sky pilots. Uh, Chris Blesso is on there describing, so I, I actually have the interviews with these, with these Sky pilots, and you can actually hear them talk about it, uh, and so that 's what I, I basically do and i, I don 't really keep any secrets. I used to have sort of like high level contacts. But they all cut me off because I can't keep a secret, can't keep my mouth shut. And I say, like the, the biblical thing, what profit of the man he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So I basically put everything I, I learn on uh, pre- my presidential UFO Facebook site. And uh, people know you better, if you want to keep it secret, don't tell it to Grant because he'll post it right away. I, I try to, uh, anything I hear, I put up there. And that's where you can sort of keep on the latest uh, stuff that I'm doing and things that I think are important for people to learn. And the latest, the, the latest books that are coming out, because I have, I have a whole series of books coming out. The next one is this one on apports and manifestations, which is also very important because I go through the, the whole story of Leslie Kane talking about the hand that appeared in the physical seance three or four times that she encountered. And that's what I think they're doing, that they're able to come in like a like – a, like a physical manifestation that Leslie Kane from the New York Times saw, appears a hand, and she felt the hand, touched the hand. She said it was a real hand. It banged on the table, and then it just sort of disintegrated and went back where it came from. And I think that's what these, all these intelligences are doing. They can come into our physical environment, uh, take our vibration, appear for a couple of minutes, and then go back where they came from. And we are, we are the same thing. We, we, can, we can do the same thing as them. Uh, We just don't know it. So uh, watch White House uh, Presidential UFO on Facebook, and that'll basically tell you uh, what we're up to.
0: Thank you so much. Your work is greatly appreciated uh, by myself and so many others. Have a very blessed day, Grant. Thank you so very much. Beautiful. Absolutely amazing conversation. I know we could go on for hours and hours about this. And uh, maybe we will have another episode with Grant, or maybe I'll go on his podcast. We'll definitely have to uh, cross that bridge when we get there. I would love to talk to him more because he is a fountain of knowledge when it comes to this stuff. The theory of seeding, how many people seem to be involved, the things they have in common. And sure, um, they or our friends, these cosmic controllers who control the the intelligence or the craft involved, are dropping these breadcrumbs, not only of metallurgy and metamaterials, but also breadcrumbs of knowledge. And it seems that when it comes to this stuff, uh, it's stuff people aren't supposed to know the whole picture. We're not supposed to have the complete picture in our minds. We just need pieces of the puzzle that probably are placed there and come together to create, interact, and engage with the entire conscious effort. And it brings me back to uh, the universe in general and a great quote from Edgar Casey: The spirit is the life, the mind is the builder, and the physical is the result. All in this book, UFO Sky Pilots, Pilots of Peace and Oneness by Grant Cameron. Definitely pick up the book. Definitely support Grant and his research, investigations, and efforts. He's one of the good ones. Until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, but don't forget to take a look around. Time machine, third, I feel like an evizing blast off. Blast off, blast off, blast off. Come, blast off in my time machine. Third, I feel like an evizing blast off, blast off.